Hi, this is Sarah McDonnell from the Royal Statistical Society. I'm at ICC Belfast um, with the Royal Statistical Society Conference, and I'm with Chris Lloyd from Queen's University Belfast, who's just given a session on neighbourhood change in Britain, 1971 to 2011. So Chris, what were the main sources of data that you used for this study? We use census data, so we have census data digitally going back to 1971 every 10 years, so 71, 81, 91, 2001 and 2011. We have those small areas, so those were used as an input to our project. And um, what were the main patterns and trends that you found from looking at those studies? Well, there are a number of different um, trends. The, the reason that we did the work is because the areas that we have uh, provided by the census offices aren't the same across each census time period. So you can't look at how one neighbourhood has changed from 1971 to 2011. So the first thing we had to do was to convert the data so that they were all using the same sets of geographical zones, in this case, grid squares. Um, and that's enabled us to pick out a number of major trends. Um, there, there are large-scale processes in age diversity, for example. So some areas are becoming increasingly younger or increasingly older, and there is a greater division between young adults and the rest of the population, um, and between older people and the rest of the population for a host of different reasons. There are major changes in deprivation. We see big spreads uh, in terms of uh, characteristics like overcrowding and unemployment from urban areas. So a spreading of deprivation from urban areas to the wider area. There are many other different processes, um, change in industry, for example, huge declines, obviously, in heavy manufacturing um, with, with a big increase in the service sector. Um, other processes like changing geographies of uh, country of birth. So there are many, many large scale processes, but also importantly, uh, small scale differences. So the whole country didn't change in the same ways over the period 1971 to 2011. There were particular areas that saw much bigger declines in social housing, for example, than in other areas. So the project is enabling us to not just take those broad scale pictures of population flux, for example, or deprivation change, but to look at how the characteristics of specific neighbourhoods have changed over that time period. Great. And what, what of the findings surprised you? Was there, was there anything that, that really you weren't expecting from, from this data? Many of the broad trends are in line with what we'd expect, but the, the kind of the intensity, for example, of some of the trends were, were, were greater than probably I'd imagine. So the, the persistence of deprivation, for example, in some areas is, is considerable. Some areas never seem to uh, see any kind of improvement over this time period or very, very little. Mm. Um, so it's kind of the degree of that change, the, the magnitude of the spread of deprivation from urban areas using this particular measure, it wouldn't be the same for all measures, but using the particular measure that we've used, um, very, very strong geographical patterns to the kind of expansion of deprivation along with the growth of urban areas. So you've seen an expansion of deprivation? Yes, yeah. If you, if you look at a map of deprivation in 1971 and then one for 2011, the, the values that indicate large deprivation values are spreading out. So yeah, you see a kind of, you might call it a suburbanisation, but certainly an expansion as, as some city areas have contracted in the 70s and 80s and then re-expanded. With that expansion, you see a growth in, for example, the population densities increase. So sometimes you'll see overcrowding because there isn't a sufficient increase in housing to cater for that growing population. And that's one facet of deprivation. So yes, an expansion of, of deprivation using um, data such as unemployment, overcrowding, um, 
access to a car and van and housing tenures, so rented households, for example. And on using those measures, you do see considerable uh, growth in urban areas. So it's urban areas where the deprivation is, is spreading? It was, yeah, it was already greatest in those areas, but it's spreading from the periphery of those areas. Okay. And um, how, how can the findings that you're, that you're getting from this research be used? Um, you mentioned a bit at the end of your talk about, about what it could mean for policy, for example. Well, I think one of the, the policy tends to focus on data for neighbourhoods using the most recent time points, which is natural. So you, you use the latest benefits data or um, the, the latest population estimates that you have, and you, you try to use that to, uh, to help allocate resources for area-based schemes. But we know that outcomes for health, for example, are strongly dependent on the history of an area as well as its current status. So I would argue, and recent research suggests, that if you're going to use measures of deprivation, for example, to guide where you allocate resources, you need to account for the history of deprivation in those areas as well, because that's important. It's not just deprivation status using the most recent time point that we have available. So I would hope that the work will um, emphasize the case for, for looking at area change. It's important for all kinds of things. For example, in, con in the context of Brexit, um, there's a suggestion that it's population change that was a driving factor in people's choice to vote either to remain or leave um, the European Union. So this population change is crucial, and I think it needs to be included uh, much more in, in assessments of uh, resource allocation and in other areas too. Great. And um, will you be using the census data from 2021? Are there plans to start including that? Yes. I, I referred at the beginning of the, of the interview to, to, to needing to create data that you can compare across time. In 2021, the next census in the UK, gridded data like those I've had to estimate will be available. So we'll be able to do a direct comparison of our existing data with what's happening in 2021, as well as making links to other data sources not from the census. So for example, benefits data, um, other population estimates, data on housing tax bans, there are a variety of other sources that we could use to enrich our understanding of how our neighbourhoods have changed. Great. And will the uh, admin aspect of, of the next census um, inform any more of your research? You know, some of the data is going to be taken from administration sources. So you mentioned uh, other sources of data. Yeah, I think increasingly um, the ability to use administrative sources is going to be really important, especially for looking at change over time, because at the moment, a lot of the questions that are asked in the census um, are the best source of information we have, and we only get that information every 10 years. And a lot of the changes we're looking at, so the impact of the recession um, in, in the late um, what, 2008 sort of period, is quite short term. And all of that change took place between the 2001 and 2011 census. So having access to other sources of data that can be used to generate um, neighbourhood level information for short time periods is crucial. So absolutely, making use of any other sources that capture the, the information that we're interested in will be crucial and I think, I hope, that will become an increasing part of policy when we have more fine-grained um, information on how neighbourhoods change through time. Great. So you mentioned the, um, in your talk that uh, the data you had for the, for, the, for the UK apart from Northern Ireland was, were estimates, mm -hmm. but the, the information you had for Northern Ireland was actual actual yes. figures. Yeah. Is that going to change in 2021? Will you have actual figures or will yes. that remain estimates? Yes. Um, in 1971, the whole of the UK produced um, data for grids, one kilometre grids. 
um, as well as uh, standard geographical areas such as enumeration districts. Um, but Northern Ireland continued to produce these gridded outputs from uh, into 1981 up to 2011. In Britain, that didn't happen. There were some outputs in 1981, but um, not beyond that. So yes, uh, the 2021 census will be the first time where we have a UK-wide grid that we can easily access for a whole range of different variables. And I think that will be really, really important. And hopefully, if the statistical agencies are also produced, able to produce some of the other data, not from the census, also on a grid, then that will give us um, uh, an additional way of looking at change through time. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it will be, um, I think, a really important resource, but the first time where we've been able to look at um, the same sorts of units um, across the whole of the UK. So looking, looking at the same things over and over again gives you a much better yeah. idea of, of, of trends because you're looking at like for like. Yes, we know that health status, for example, is dependent on um, the history of, of an area. Um, potentially voting patterns are, are definitely related to the history of an area as well. Of course, people move into and out of areas, so you're not necessarily talking about the same people, but the way that neighbourhoods change are really important for the likely efficacy of employment schemes, for example. If you have a place with entrenched long-term deprivation, the challenges are different than somewhere which is highly deprived now, but only because it's suffered due to a recent economic downturn. Yeah. So it gives you a much long, longer term. Are you planning to go any further back or do you think 55 census worth is, is enough for, well, for trends at the moment? In a way, a, a lot of what happened, well, if you take Northern Ireland, for example, where we currently are, a lot of the major population changes that you saw in cities like Belfast were in the late 1960s and the early 1970s with the, obviously the, the advent of the Troubles. So being able to go back a little bit further would would actually in, in, enrich your understanding of how the how populations in this particular area have changed but always you know that there are other uh, population trends that that you could you could learn more about and that could be helpful most policy for example is going to be interested in change in more recent time periods but yeah potentially that there is work to digitize the 1961 census at a fine scale and there has been work on earlier censuses some people have looked at the persistence of patterns over a period of over 100 years so academically, yes, there'll be a lot, there will be a lot of interest, maybe in terms of policy, not so much. It will be more the recent uh, time periods. Sure. And what's directly next for your project? What are you next looking at? Um, mostly expanding the work out to include sense, uh, sources of data other than the census. So obviously we're now um, eight years or so from the last census. So um, the end of our time period is, is already quite a long time ago. Uh, so integration of, for example, benefits data is a way of estimating unemployment. We have um, some data that enable us to estimate overcrowding. And this, for example, is showing us that in parts of London, overcrowding increases year on year and is as, is as bad now as, as it had been, at least in terms of uh, our time period. So yeah, that, that's one of the key steps to expand this to the UK and also to produce a, a comprehensive digital atlas that anyone can access. The data are already available to anybody, but uh, to produce, a, as I said, a digital, access, a digital atlas that anyone can go and look at to zoom in on their own local area and have a look at how it's changed over the last however many decades. I can see that the, the visualizations that you use, the maps, yeah. they, they're very key, aren't they, to sort yes. of presenting the data. Yeah. How, how much work do you have to put into producing those? Do you have a program that does it for you? It's a multiple step process because first of all, you, you start with the geographical areas that you have, 
um, for a, a given time period, but as I say, they change. So you first of all have to find some way of taking the population for, for example, a neighbourhood in 1971 and working out how to reallocate that to a new area, in this case, a grid cell. Um, once you've done that and you've got that process, it's quite, it's quite a straightforward process to work with the data. Anybody can download a free geographical information systems package, for example, take the data and manipulate them or use um, the, the online mapping system. So it's relatively easy once you've done the work of creating the grids. That, that is quite a drawn out multiple stage process, but it's relatively easy to work with afterwards. And you have access to census data, that's all out there as well? The, the original data are all publicly accessible yeah. and they're a public resource, but the grids that we've produced, given that the project was funded by the Research Councils UK, specifically the Economic and Social Research Council, um, we are required and would want to anyway to release all of the data that we produce as part of the project. So on the UK Data Service website, you can access all of the grids that we've generated so far, but it's been expanded and anything else we create will also be made freely available. So what's the website for that, the web address? Um, it, it's the UK Data Service and then um, the, the project is called Pop Change. Pop Change. So within that, so POP Change, one word, and then you can, you can search for that and you'll find access to documentation, including the journal paper, and the grid data. Great, so look for pop change on Google and you can find lots more information about the maps that uh, Chris has produced. This is Sarah McDonnell from the RSS and signing off for now.